there's a story about a farmer who was out in his field one day and he came across a snake stuck in his fence. And at first, the farmer was going to uh, leave the snake there and let nature take its course, but the snake spoke up and said, Please don't leave me. If you let me go, I will leave your field and never return. The farmer thought about that for a moment and thought, that sounds like a pretty good deal. So he freed the snake from the fence, but before he pulled his hand away, the snake struck him on the hand. The farmer was surprised. He asked, why would you do that after I saved your life? And the snake simply replied with, well, I'm still a snake. Still a snake. The point of that story is, One's nature determines one's actions. One's nature determines one's actions. That is true of snakes, and that is true of us. Since the fall, we sin. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean we are not to blame. We are, but it's, but it's true. Because we were conceived in sin, as we're told in Scripture, and are by nature, as Paul says, Ephesians 2, children of wrath, we sin. The opposite is true of our God. As the prophet Habakkuk said in the previous passage we looked at last week, our God, he is a just, holy, almighty covenant-keeping God who is faithful to his word. And because that is true, our God only does what a just, holy, almighty, covenant-keeping God does. He does what is right and good. He exercises justice. He keeps his word with his people. That's what we're going to learn today as we look at God's second response to Habakkuk in this book. If you have your Bibles, turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Just a brief recap on where we are. Habakkuk is a prophet to the southern Jews. At this time, in the Old Testament, the Jewish kingdom was divided. There was a northern and a southern kingdom. Both kingdoms struggle with sin. God sends prophets to both to warn them. Neither heed the words of the prophets. Both kingdoms fall. The northern kingdom fell first to the Assyrians, and then the southern kingdom falls to the Babylonians. And Habakkuk was a prophet to the Jews in the southern kingdom before their fall. God's people are struggling with sin at this time, and Habakkuk is fed up. He wants God to step in and to set his people straight. He goes to God and he asks him, why are you allowing for your people to continue in sin? They were living, we learn, as if there was no law, as if the law had been paralyzed. Though God had given him his, his people laws to live by, they were acting as if there were no laws or at least no consequences to violating God's laws. So the, the prophet cries out and he says, How long, O Lord? How long are you going to put up with us? Why are you allowing us to continue in sin? Why are you not responding? Why are you sitting idly by, just standing there looking on while your people continue in sin? Well, in Habakkuk 1, we learn that God responds. 
to his prophet. He, he basically tells him, I am not going to delay for long. I'm going to judge my people and I'm going to use the Chaldeans as my instrument of judgment. Well, that response upset God's prophet even more. While he acknowledges in the passage we looked at last week that, that God is from everlasting, a holy, faithful, personal, covenant-keeping God who is, is just, he questions why a holy God who cannot look upon and associate with the wicked, why he would use a nation more wicked than his people as instruments of his righteous judgment. And we ended last time after Habakkuk asks these difficult questions for the prophet, not for God, nothing's too difficult for thee, right? But for the prophet, he's asking these hard questions. After that, we learn that Habakkuk stands and waits like a watchman at a watch post for God's response. Well, this morning we're going to see that God is going to respond again. So we are going to look at God's faithful response. And we are going to learn in this response that our God is just as Habakkuk has described in the previous passage. He is a holy, personal, covenant-keeping, covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. While his ways are above ours, his ways are right and good. He is faithful and just. Notice a few things we learn here from this passage about God's faithful response. What we learn about God here from this response. First, we learn this. Point number one. We learn here that God comforts the godly by promising judgment for the wicked. Look at verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Now, last time we left the prophet Habakkuk waiting for God to answer, here we have God's answer. He, he tells him in a vision. Now, that, that in a vision, it's also translated revelation. The Hebrew word means something that is seen. In Habakkuk 1.1, we're told that this prophetic book was a record of the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk the prophet, saw. Some commentators interpret this to mean that, that Habakkuk actually saw in a vision the Chaldeans destroying God's people and later what God would do to the Chaldeans. Others interpret this to mean that God explained this to Habakkuk in great detail and that's the revelation or the oracle he received, this word from God. Either way, the prophet is going to get the picture. He receives word that, that God is going to punish his people at the hands of the Chaldeans and then he's going to punish the Babylonians at the hands of their enemies and he is told to write this vision down to make it plain on tablets he was to record this in a way that was to be clear and easy to understand i believe habakkuk does a good job here of course he's carried along by the holy spirit right but this book minus some of the detailed imagery that we have, we're going to see a lot of that in chapter 3. Some of the figurative language that we need to uh, set aside and explain. We're going to see, we see in this book as we study it, that it's pretty easy to 
follow. It's pretty easy to tell what's going on here. here here's just a brief synopsis. The prophet is upset with the wickedness of God's people. He cries out to God. God says he will punish his people with the Chaldeans. The prophet then asks, why are you going to use them? They're worse than us. And then God says, I will punish them as well. I'm going to bring them down. I'm going to crush them. And then in chapter 3, you have the prophet's response of praise to the Lord. And in that response, he shows fantastic faith in the midst of incredible difficulty. That's the book. Right there, in a nutshell, okay? This story was to be written down so that all could understand and so that the ones who read it would then run and spread the word to others. Verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God tells Habakkuk, my judgment is coming. It is certain. It is sure. Even if it seems slow, wait on it. As sure as my answer came to you, as you stood and waited for me like a watchman at a watch post, my judgment will surely come. It will not delay. While this army, this Babylonian army is strong right now, they're moving across the known world, throwing down nation after nation, and while they will be the instrument I will use to judge my people, they are simply doing what they are doing for an appointed time. Their end is sure, and it is coming without delay. As we said earlier in this series, we learn here, as we learn throughout Scripture that the enemies of God here are mere pawns in his hand and in his plan and the Babylonians were no exception at the appointed time they will be destroyed and in that day there is nothing that they're going to be able to do to stop God's judgment while they are a powerful army who worship their own strength their God was their might we're told they cannot hold a candle to almighty God and folks, that is not just a message that is specific for the Chaldeans. That is a message that is true of all of God's enemies. It's a recurring message throughout Scripture that God is angry with the wicked and one day at an appointed time, His hand of judgment is going to fall on them. Doesn't matter how strong they are. Doesn't matter how smart they are, how rich they are, how famous they are, how influential they are. If Christ is not Lord, if they are unrepentant and set against God in sin at an appointed time, his judgment is going to come down upon them. God has made that crystal clear in his word so that those of us who hear it and read it would run and tell it. Like Habakkuk. You and me, believers, are to be making this message known that God's judgment is coming. There is an appointed day someday, and that someday might be today. So we got to be ready, and we got to call for others to be ready as well by repenting of sin and trusting in Christ alone for salvation. So God makes it clear that his judgment of the wicked is coming without delay. We, we also learn from this passage of Scripture, number two, that God exposes the failures of the faithless and encourages faithfulness from the righteous. 
In the previous passage, while the prophet Habakkuk recalls all the wonderful truths he knows of God, he is confused at why a, a righteous and wrathful God would use a wicked instrument like the Chaldeans as his chosen instrument of judgment. He goes as far as reminding God of the wickedness of the Chaldeans as if God needed a reminder, right? He, he tells him, he says, he says God, they're, they're wicked. They are violent enemies of yours and your people. They have made idols out of their own strength. They are traveling around from place to place and mercilessly destroying nations and are getting wealthy off the spoils of those they are destroying. Well, notice here, God lets his prophet know that he knows all about the wickedness of this nation. Nothing is lost on God. He not only knows the wicked things that men say and do, he knows the wickedness of their heart. After promising to bring his hand of judgment down on this wicked nation, God shares with Habakkuk that their wickedness has not escaped him. He says, verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Skip down to verse 5 for a moment. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Notice, God repeats a lot of what the prophet has already said about this wicked nation, letting him know he knows of their wickedness, not lost on God. He says, their soul is puffed up. They are, they are arrogant. They truly believe that they are the reason for their success in war. They truly believe that they are unstoppable. They are greedy gluttons, drunkards who are never satisfied and never at rest. They seek power and wealth at the destruction of others. They, they live lives of excess and they are never at rest. They probably think at some point they're going to find happiness and satisfaction in their conquests, but they're never satisfied. Their greed is as wide as Sheol, as wide as hell. Just like death never has enough victims. The Babylonians never have enough conquests. They gather for themselves nations. They're never at rest. They are a self-reliant, faithless group who are seeking fulfillment in this life and in their conquest, and they will never have it. Never. Same is true for many in our world today. There are many self-reliant, faithless people in our world today in hot pursuit of happiness in this life and in this life alone. But they're coming up short. You know why? Because the temporal earthly things in this life cannot bring satisfaction that lasts. It will not happen. Doesn't matter what one looks to and trusts in in this life to bring satisfaction that lasts, happiness long term, whether it's power or, or wealth or health or popularity. One who seeks those things thinking that in them they'll, they'll have happiness forever, they will not. The self-reliant, worldly, faithless individual in hot pursuit of happiness under the sun will always come to the same conclusion that the Chaldeans came to, the same conclusion that Solomon did in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon had everything by the world's standards, and this was his conclusion. He said, 
One will never find rest in life under the sun. They will, they will never have enough. It is all vanity. Vanity of vanities. A life lived apart from God is a tragic life. It is an unfulfilled life. It is a wasted life. What's the alternative then? Into verse 4. But the righteous shall live by his faith. After giving Habakkuk the failures of the faithless, God then explains the response of the righteous. He says, they're to live by faith. Regardless of what happens in this life, no matter what difficulties one has to endure, the righteous are to live by faith. They are to rely upon God and trust in Him because of who He is and because of what He has done and because of what He has promised to do. No matter what, God's people are to faithfully trust in Him and follow hard after Him no matter what. The one who does is the one who finds true and lasting happiness and satisfaction. Because with God, in and through a relationship with Him, in and through the person and work of His Son, that's where lasting joy is found. In Christ, God promises His people a future hope, eternal joy, everlasting glory. No circumstance in this life can rob us of what God has promised us through His Son, Jesus. Those truths, truths like it, probably what led the psalmist to write what he did in Psalm 146. I read it earlier. Let's look at it up on the screen. He says this, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So what he's saying here is rulers, no matter how strong, they're, they're temporary. If their reign brings happiness, it is short-lived because leaders and their regimes do not last. And when they die, if your hope is in them, your hope goes with them. You see that? It's true of anything under the sun. Anything we pursue in this life for happiness, when it goes away, our hope goes with it if it's in it. You see that? Boy, we miss that. We are so blinded, living as if those things are forever and they're not. Verse 5, what's the alternative? Instead, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He says, blessed are those who abandon earthly pursuits of happiness and place their faith in the Lord, the creator of all our great redeemer while there is no rest for the faithless there is for the righteous where does your hope lie where are you seeking to find rest where are you pursuing happiness is it is it in earthly things or is it in the lord only those 
who belong to God, those trusting in His Son alone for salvation, living in right relationship with Him by faith, no true and lasting happiness. So in examining God's faithful response here, we've learned, number one, God comforts the godly by promising judgment for the wicked. And He exposes the failures of the faithless and encourages faithfulness from the righteous. Point number three, notice God condemns the unregenerate and rules over the nations. Look at verse six. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Let's stop there for just a moment. Here God is speaking against the, the wicked Chaldeans for their greed and for plundering nations. God speaks here to his prophet in a poetic tone on behalf of the nations the Chaldeans have destroyed. And he, he speaks against them, against the Babylonians. And notice he does it in a series of woes. Notice the first woe here. He says, woe to him who piles up spoils from nations he has destroyed. As we have said already, this impressive, powerful empire was built on the destruction of others. Their wealth was gathered from the nations that they plundered. The phrase, loads himself with pledges, is thought to be figurative here. The practice of taking pledges in this day meant that when a loaner would loan something out, he would, he would take something in exchange for that which was desired, and he would hold on to that until that debt was paid, and if it was not paid, he would keep that precious item. The Babylonians, they took things from nations they conquered, giving nothing in return without paying any of them back. They made unfair decisions that prospered them and deprived their enemies. God speaks poetically here on behalf of the nations destroyed, and he says, for how long? How long are they going to be allowed to remain and prosper? And notice God answers his question in verses 7 and 8. Let's look at it. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them. In other words, God says, will not these nations you have made your enemies and have destroyed to build your own nation, will they not rise up against you and make you a spoil for them? Look at verse 8. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. God says here to the Babylonians, your violence is going to be repaid by violence. These nations are going to rise up against you and repay you with violence. They will plunder you. They will destroy you. And that's exactly what happens, which should not surprise us because God's speaking. Of course it happened. History tells us in 539 BC, the Babylonians fall to the Persians. The Persians plunder them just as God says. Harsh words, but, but true words. Look at the next woe, verse 9. 
Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. The second woe also has to do with greed. So the first two woes deal with the, the greed of the Babylonians. And the reason why is because this is one of the great sins of the Babylonians. God again speaks poetically here for the nations they had defeated and says, Woe to the Chaldeans who wickedly adds to their wealth by plundering other helpless nations and provides greater safety for themselves by hindering the safety of others. They were greedy for gain. They had a deep craving for security. They wanted to be untouchable with their, their nest up high like that of the eagle. They wanted to be in a place where they were untouchable, in a location where they were safe and secure, far from the reach of harm, but they were not because they're not out of God's reach. No one is ever. Look at verse 10. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. In other words, you have made your bed with these actions. God basically says you, you have cut everyone off. You have made yourself an enemy of all nations and you have ultimately forfeited your life because God is going to bring judgment back down on your heads. He is going to use another strong nation to judge them. They're going to pay the ultimate price for their wickedness and their greed. Verse 11. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Now, it's unclear here whether or not Habakkuk is referring to the walls and the woodwork of nations they had destroyed or the walls and woodwork that they had built, that they had constructed as a result of destroying the surrounding nations. We're not told, but either one applies, okay? Habakkuk says, those you have destroyed or that which you have built at the destruction of others, they, they bear witness to you of what you've done. They cry out against you. Next woe, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Notice here that, that God is speaking here about the Chaldeans' sins against humanity. The fact that they were extremely violent. They were murderers who, who built up their empire by spilling blood and through their wickedness. Verse 13. I love this. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts... Stop there for just a minute. God is, is setting up here what he's about to say next. He is commenting on the futility of these efforts by the Babylonians to build this great nation while they worship their own might, act as if they, they, they are a god to themselves. They worship their, their strength and they built this city on blood and iniquity. The Lord calls attention to the fact that he is the one with the true power. He is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of heavenly hosts, right? The God of angel armies. And anything they have, anything they have done, they have been allowed to do by Him. Remember, He said in Habakkuk chapter 1, I am raising them up. And here in verse 13, look at it again. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. 
Now look at Jeremiah 51:58 up on the screen. This will really help with uh, what Habakkuk is saying here. This will shed light on what's being said here. Jeremiah, too, is speaking of Babylon's destruction here, and this is what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. While the Babylonians built up this impressive city and feel secure within their broad walls and high gates, they have built this city on blood, the blood that they have spilt and the spoils gathered from other nations. And while they feel as if they are out of reach from their enemies, they are not out of God's reach. They have labored to build this impressive nation in vain because God is going to level their broad walls and burn their high High gates to the ground with fire. And get this. Through this great judgment that God is going to bring down on this mighty nation, the Lord is going to reveal his presence and his glory throughout the earth in a mighty way. Look at verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Lord tells his prophet that after raising this nation up, he is going to bring this nation down and he is going to, through that act, he's going to make his glory known throughout the earth. They're going to know who the true power is, where power truly resides. And God brings his hand of judgment down on them. Notice the fourth woe God gives to the Babylonians. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Now, it is difficult in the first part of this passage to see whether or not the Lord is, is speaking here. Is he talking literally or through in, in part of this passage or is he speaking figuratively throughout? And the reason why is because certain commentators explain that the Babylonians, they would abuse alcohol on a regular basis and they would often have these wild parties where they would partake in these drunken, sexually immoral acts together and they would also force these conquered nations to drink as well and they would get them drunk and then in their drunkenness they would bring shame upon them so they literally did do some of these things and God may have been speaking literally here or, or maybe using these actions as an illustration for how the Babylonians had treated these nations in conquering them alcoholic drink and drunkenness is often used as an illustration of wrath as well and is certainly used figuratively in a portion of this passage the Lord seems to be saying here that in the same way the Babylonians poured out their wrath on all nations and brought them to shame and ruin, he's going to do the same for them. Notice what he says here in verse 16. You will have your fill 
of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So as the Babylonians had brought other nations to shame and ruin, God assures Habakkuk that he is going to do the same to them. He will show their uncircumcision. Now remember, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant people. So God is going to show the Babylonians to be enemies of his in the way he deals with them. He is going to show their ungodliness. He is going to show that he is set against them. They are going to be forced to drink of God's wrath from his cup and he is going to bring this seemingly glorious, powerful nation to complete ruin. The violence done to his people will be done to the Babylonians. He is going to repay them for the blood they shed, for the violence that they brought to the earth. And believers, God is clear in his word, as we said earlier, that all who remain in sin remain set against him. And if they do so until that great and final day of judgment, they will be forced to face him in his wrath for all eternity. They will be paid for their sin and will be put to shame and will be brought to ruin. Praise be to God that he has provided a way of rescue for his people. That's why we refer to it as good news. He has provided rescue for us. Folks, God sent his son and humbled him. Christ emptied himself. He became one of us and a lowly one of us at that. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at this quote from Martin Luther up on the screen. I thought it was appropriate. We got Reformation Sunday coming next Sunday and Reformation Day on the 31st. Listen to what Luther said. I love this quote. The Son of God descended from heaven into this humility and came to us in our flesh, laid himself into the womb of his mother and into the manger and went on to the cross. This was the ladder that he placed on earth so that we might ascend to God on it. It's good, isn't it? Christ endured a painful and shameful death for us so that he might rescue us from the painful and shameful consequences of our sin so that we might not have to endure the pain of God's wrath and the shame of his judgment. That's good news. That is good news. Let's look at the fifth woe. Look at verse 18. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Notice the contrast. 
Let all the earth keep silence before him. So we learn here, in addition to being a greedy, arrogant, faithless, violent nation, the Babylonians were also idolatrous. In this final passage here, the Lord assures his prophet that another reason his hand of judgment is going to fall on the Babylonians is because they were an idolatrous people. In this passage, the Lord exposes the the foolishness of idolatry as he does throughout scripture. But this is a good one here on what he says. He asks another rhetorical question here. He says, what good is an idol? It is man-made speechless it cannot teach it cannot provide guidance to the worshiper there is no benefit to it it's nothing a wooden thing a silent stone there is no breath in it at all it is speechless the lord says woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake to a silent stone arise foolish And while we might just shake our heads at these wicked Babylonians and and just call what they're doing foolish here, know that we too have many idols just like that. Useless, worthless things that we put our trust in. We too have man-made things we put our trust in. Many things we look to and cling to and believe in. Things we believe will satisfy us Long term. Look at this quote by John Calvin up on the screen. He says this, The human heart is an idle factory. Well, that's true. Leave that up for a minute and let it soak in. So true. Instead of looking to and relying upon the things of this earth to satisfy us and bring us true and lasting joy, we are to forsake those things and put our hope and trust in the Lord. That's one of the major messages in the book of Habakkuk. Look at verse 20. Notice the contrast again. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. There is a great contrast being made. First, he talks about the silent, lifeless, useless idols of the Babylonians. And then he talks of the living, speaking, ruling, almighty and everlasting God who sits enthroned on high in his holy temple. He is the one that we are to worship. He is the one we are to look to and and trust in and follow. He is the one to be honored and revered. Instead of man speaking to and for lifeless and speechless idols and trying to give them life, putting way too much trust in those things, notice God calls for man instead to be silent before him. The one true and living God. We are called to be silent before our awesome, living, spiritual Speaking and ruling God and trust in Him and in Him alone. Period. End of story. That's it. So, to end this morning, I want to ask you once again where does your hope lie? Is your faith and trust in the Lord or is it in earthly things? Is it in yourself 
Are you similar to the Babylonians in that you are a, a self-reliant, faithless individual who is seeking satisfaction in this life and the things of this world apart from and opposed to the living God? Are you trusting in your own strength, in wealth, health, status to, to make you happy? Would you say that a, that a characteristic of your life is that you're in hot pursuit of happiness in this life and in this life alone? If so, let me ask you a question. How is that going for you? Have you stopped? Are you now at rest? God tells us that true and lasting happiness is found in and through a right relationship with him through the person and work of his son. If you're restless this morning, I invite you to place your faith and trust in the Lord because get this, he and he alone is able to grant lasting satisfaction to a restless, hungry, and thirsty soul. Let's pray together.